joined today on Football CFB by Anthony Johnson, one of the co-managers at Chester Football Club. We all know him, having Bernard Morley for been obviously on the documentary with Salford, having managed Ramsbottom as well, having lots of success in England. Thanks for joining me. And the first thing I want to, to talk to you about, obviously, overnight, quite sad news coming from, from Chester, the club, about one of the volunteers and one of the, the, the real true fans of the club, Steve, passing away. Would you like to just give a wee message to his family? Yeah, it's terrible news. You know, found out late late last night through a message from from one of the directors on Twitter, and it was it came as a massive shock. Um, you know, the last time we played at home, obviously he, he was there on the game. We had a chat with him. There was a bit of banter with him, a bit of fun. Um, and, and it comes come as a real shock, really sad time as well. You know, with with, with what's going on. So, um, you know, a big loss as a friend from a personal point of view, from mine and Bernard's point of view, but also to the football club. Um, a stalwart in their years. Sadly missed. Um, just you know, send sending best wishes to, to to his family. Absolutely, I completely echo that. And the first real thing I want to talk to you about today is the current situation. How are you finding it at the moment, personally, and how are you managing it as a co-manager of a football club? Um, it's difficult because there's only so many times you can talk to players about the same sort of things. Um, <coughs> up and down the country at the minute, we're we're, we're all. Um, doing similar sorts of, of fitness programs. You know, we have a, an SNC coach, a strength and conditioning coach that, that has individual programs for each player. Um, you know, whether that be the strength and conditioning, the, the, the power stuff, or whether that be out running and doing different types of runs. Because all players, you know, do do different um, different types, dis, dis, distances, speeds. Um, we have an app that that's all logged into. So me, Burn, um, the coach, you can keep on top with, of, of what the lads are doing. Uh, in terms of the strength and conditioning stuff, you know, the the, the gym, the power base stuff is, is very difficult because we're not we're not all fortunate enough to, to be to have gyms in our in our garages or, or whatever like the top level footballers can. Uh, so it's just a case of uh, doing what you can at home, keeping fit, keeping uh, a sense of perspective because obviously we've not been told that our season's finished yet. So yeah. so it could be in another four, five, six, seven weeks that the tournament goes right with played. So we've got to the lads have got to keep on top. Um, of that type of stuff and they do that anyway you know if, if this was the end of the season and the close season went to next season the lads still look after themselves it's not it's not like it was 25 30 years ago where lads just go on a six-week bender um getting tanked up every every single night lads look after themselves in fact there's a high percentage of lads that don't even drink and and, and and do that type of stuff anymore so they're quite professional lads throughout the levels um and, and our lads are no different in Scotland, I'm sure you, you've you've saw the statement that the clubs up here are voting on whether to end the season in the lower leagues on a points per game basis. What would your opinion be in the sort of national league north that you're in? Well, my, my opinion on all of it is that it should be on points per game. If the seasons don't finish, I don't care if you're in amateur football playing subs or you're the Premier League. I think we started the season the best part of eight nine months ago, uh, beginning of July, some the end of June last year. Clubs like in the Welsh in, in, in the Welsh Premier League that were in Europe started in mid June, so so, so you're ten months into a, into a season, um, and then having something taken away for you. Oh, people talk about the investment of money, but it's not just the investment of money; it's the investment of time that, that you've put in. It's the, it's the recruitment, um, not just on the on the, on the player side, but staff as well. Um, that counts for nothing. So if we if we null and void what we've done, if the league decides it doesn't exist anymore, everything that we've done for ten months. It's just been been for nothing. So when we start up again next season, you might lose fifty percent of your players who've moved on to to, to pastures new, whether it be new clubs or new careers or whatever, um, and everything that they've put in the previous season don't count for don't count for anything. So I think you've got to reward success. Unfortunately, some clubs will um, you know will will be relegated and 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 have failure on the books based on what I've just said with the points per game. But we've played along you know three quarters of the season. And there's always a counter-argument of uh, we've got games in hand, we, we've got this, we've got that. Well, of course you have, but they don't exist yet. We can only judge on what we've done and what, what do exist and what we've seen. Um, so, so, so I think people talk about questioning integrity of football. I think it's a bit harsh with what's going on. Um, but I think, having, having, you know, I was going to say natural ending. It's not a natural ending because we're finishing the season early, potentially. Uh, but having a, a season finishing that's based on points is, is the only way to do it, in my opinion. Uh, to be honest with you, I would echo that now because we don't know when football is going to start back and from a managerial point of view, you can't really plan because you don't know when things are going to be back. And I want to ask you on a personal note, how are you coping with the lockdown in the house with the kids? Are you, are you, are you bored yet? 
Oh, it's an absolute nightmare. For the first couple of weeks, it, uh, you know, it's like anything with the novelty of, of something. It was all right. Uh, and the missus was still, she works from home, but she got furloughed last week as well. So thankfully, um, she's took over the, 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 the charge of being headmaster or headmistress. And I'm, I'm just cracking on doing the gardening and stuff because it, it, I struggle with it, if I'm honest with you. Uh, they, the kids struggle with me more than anything else. And me and the wife end up having a, a row because I'm letting them rid the fridge and there's nothing left in the cupboards. It's uh, it is what it is. We're all going through the same stuff, you know. The most important thing is 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 obviously the, the health of people out there. You know, with with, with a with a pandemic and a virus, with what's going on. Um, so with, with what I've got going on at home, it's it's nothing. Uh, but I'm, 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 I'm yeah, the novelty novelty is well and truly worn off by now. I'm desperate to ask you about co-management. How does that work for you and Bernard? And I don't want to turn this into Mister and Mrs. But how did you meet? We've known each other a long, long time. We played at Berry together when we were kids. So I think I first come across Bernard when we was twelve or thirteen. He was a year younger than me. Um, so we always <coughs> cross paths, whether it be a training. Um, then we, 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 back in the day, you when there was no academies, it was School of Excellences. Um, we was at Berry School of Excellence, but we both played for the same junior team on a on a Sunday as well. Both played for Presswich Hayes, and um, we went on a tour to Holland. Um, he didn't come, come actually, Bernard. Um, I was I was fifteen, sixteen, but his his his, his mum went, and she ended up looking after me because my parents didn't come. So I was one of the kids that was over there. I was a bit unruly and uh, you know, always keeping check on. So so, so Bernard's mum, Mary, looked after me, uh, kept an eye on him, on me, and then um, just through. Part-time football, semi-pro football through the through the years, you know, playing against each other and, and stuff like that. And being local, you know, lives a couple of miles away from me. Um, so, so we've known each other a long time. And I think um, when we played at Cliverell in 2008, um, we actually played under joint managers, ironically. Um, one of them being the, the current FC United manager, Neil Reynolds, um, who was a very young manager at the time. And he had an experienced lad who did it with him. It just, it just didn't work at the time at Cliverell. Both good blokes. Reynolds, a fantastic coach. Uh, fantastic manager. He was only like 32, 33 at the time, I think. And uh, well, a bit younger than that, actually. Uh, but they had different uh, opinions on, on, on football and maybe one or two mixed messages at the time. Uh, Renault ended up resigning um, because he wanted to continue playing. I don't think he he thought the, the joint manager side of things was working. Me and Bird left Cliverhill, went to see the chairman, our old chairman, a good friend of ours, Harry Williams, a uh, legend, legendary character from, from our way. Um, we told him we wanted to go back to Ramy and play. We were 25, 26 at the time and asked for the job. And he laughed at us, uh, told us both to, to piss off in no uncertain terms. Uh, but then I think when he went away and thought about things, I think he, he thought, you know what, I'm getting two good players here, stepping down a level um, and two managers for the same price. Because that's how Harry always worked. It was all about money. So if he was getting value for it, you know, he, he was always liable to, uh, to, to, to gain his trust through, through it. So last game of the season, I think they played. They had a local dad. They got beat six nil. I was at the game watching. Bernard was playing, um, and we. I walked into the bar and he was sat there with a couple of the the, the board members with him, and he just said, "Look, the job's yours." Um, and that was it. That, that that that's how it started. We got the job in April or May two thousand and nine um, as joint managers, and 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 we've been together ever since. And I think I think people when they ask about how does it work, I think we 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 have a we're best friends, we're best mates, we have a concrete trust. Our wives know each other. Um, daughters born within a couple of weeks of each other. So that the implicit trust that we have for one another isn't something that we've we've manufactured. It's always been there. You know, it's um, I know that I could I could disappear for six months and I wouldn't give it a second thought to what Bernard was doing um, with the team. I, I actually think joint managers don't work because of an insecurity. What's the other one thinking? What's he doing? He's up to no good. We don't think like that. It doesn't make a difference to me if, if Bernard makes 100% of decisions on one day. Um, and I just take a, a backward step and watch what's going on because because I trust him and, and vice versa, I think. Absolutely. That's something that your friendship is, is clear to see for, for, as I say, people that have watched documentaries, people that have spoken to you as well. How does it work on a day-to-day -day basis and on a match day? Is there elements of the training and the tactical side of things that you deal with and he deals with another side? On a match day, is one of you in the dugout, one of you in the stand? How does that work? Uh, it all comes down to planning. You know, at the beginning of a week, what we're going to do, what does it look like? What did the previous game look like? What do we need to work on? What the opposition going to do? So it's no different to what anyone else would do. So, so, so it comes down to the planning. Uh, we'll always have a... Um, uh, an idea, a vague idea at the beginning of the week of what we want it to look like, but then things change. 
injuries changed, opposition, um, you know, might have changed their their shape over the last couple of games. So, so things change. Um, we've, we've always tended. Um, without ever speaking about it, it probably works on 80-90% of what we do as opposed to what the opposition do. You always want to have an idea of what shape they're going to play and, and what the strengths and weaknesses are, what set pieces they do. But we always tend to work on what we are, what we look like. Uh, match days tend to be, as you've seen from the documentary, we'll go and grab something to eat, we'll have some lunch, we'll have a chinwag about it. But by that time, it's already been planned and, and, and put in place what we was going to, what we was going to do anyway. Um, Couple of tweaks just before you know we we'll probably get there about one o'clock and in between one and, and, and one forty-five before we go into changing room and name the team. There's, there's always one or two tweaks that can happen. Go through set pieces, etc. Um, with with the coaching staff, um, we pass the messages on um, and just try and keep it as relaxed as possible. Um, Bernard, ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, will always speak first before the game half time. Uh, if I've got a message I need to get across. Um, at half time um, I will get it across and speak first sometimes but that's the way we've always done it Bern will speak first I'll speak second um, he tends to sit in the stand if we're at home um, in the first half and then comes down for the second half I like to be at pitch level um, and it's just uh, it's just what what you get used to it's, it's what we've always done uh, there's always little ways you, you think about changing things but um, Ultimately, over the last 10, 11 years, with the success we've had, uh, you, you continue to do that. But you're always looking for, obviously, ways to improve. And, and that tends to be, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing um, surprising there. It just tends, that tends to be our, our daily and, and weekly rituals. Something, I'm, I'm a few questions in, but I'm going to put you on the spot already. Life, how's life at Chester? And the reason I'm asking you that is because, when you left Salford, there was lots of interest in the pair of you. Ultimately, why did you choose Chester? Um, first and foremost, locality. I think, um, although it's it is a good hour away, that you know the first what we didn't want to do was was um, be going travelling two three hours, um, just coming out of, of a job from Salford because you was uprooting a lot of things, and as soon as we we knew the interest of Chester. Um, I'm a very fan, so so I I remember the days, you know, the last thirty odd years, barring the last ten, they've they've been head to head with Berry I mean, in the football league, where the league, what we know as League Two now and League One, you know, up and down with each other. So so to me, they were clubs that's always been as big as Berry until until they reformed and 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 dropped back into non-league football. Uh, it was it was one of those jobs where our first job at Ramy was was a little tiny village team that no one had ever heard of. Salford was. No one had really heard of, but they'd heard of the owners, and it was a big project. And Chester was was a, was a sleeping giant, um, and, and me and Bert are quite um, have been quite vociferous in, in in what we say about the club being being at the lowest point it's been. It shouldn't be at this level of football. It's um, it should be it should be as a minimum playing in the national league and, and, and pushing into 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 the football league. So we felt it's an ego thing. We felt we were the managers that could could put them back there, take them back there. But with that and and the crisis that they'd gone through a couple of years back financial crisis and uh, various other things that, that that it was going to take time but like anything else you go to something new you kick the doors down you tell everyone how great it's going to be and what you're going to do and these are the plans and people buy into that it's exciting uh, especially when they've, you know, they've seen me and burn on the TV being the way we are it's exactly what we need this type of stuff but actually it, it's the, the reality is it, it's a building job a massive building job uh, but we love it I absolutely honestly I speak for myself I can't I, I couldn't be more excited about something, um, you know, if, if I if I tried to manufacture it myself. Um, it feels now as if it did the day we walked in. There's always something brand new. Um, the supporters um, are long-suffering with, with what they've been through. Um, but we understand that. We get it. They're absolutely desperate for success. Um, and, and, and we're there to provide that. You know, there's I talk about it being a case of building things, you know, sort of bottom-up. Um, but at the same time, they've got to win. We've got to win as managers and as a team. We've we've got to create that culture of winning. I think we've done that. You know, there's been there's been difficult times. I think when you started from scratch, like we did for the for the for the first time since we started our management journey in 2009, you don't realise how how tough that is when when you've got two or three players in a squad and, and building from there. But we started to get to to where we want to be. Um, disappointing, obviously, with what's happened at this this moment because we're ten games to go. 
and a couple of games in hand on York and, and, and Brackley were third. You know, we, we still believe we could we could finish right up at the top end and, and potentially win it. Um, but it is what it is, and it's uh, it's a fa- it's a great football club. The, the relationships we've got with 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 the people higher up at the board and, and what we've got with supporters, they're buying into us. We we've certainly bought it to them. Uh, the hybrid model that we've we've we've, we've now moved into at the beginning of this season. Um, we've now got the, the GPS tracking data that that we've always wanted um, since we've been at the club. So so they bought into what we've we've asked, and, and everything we're trying to do is about professionalising the club um, because actually the ground. The support base is there, but it's just the stuff on on the pitch that that needed to be dragged along with it. Absolutely, and from speaking to to fans, um, speaking to the directors, Paul Bodman, he obviously contributed to an article that I put out on yourself and Bern last week. There's a real positive atmosphere. The fans, as you've said, have, have bought into what you you've been doing, and something that's came back to every person I've spoken to is the fact that. You and Bernard are willing to socialise with the fans when possible, go and see them, and that's win, lose, or draw in the Blues bar after games or just outside the ground after the games. No matter what, you're willing to speak to the fans and be accountable, which in everyone I've spoken to has been been the one thing everybody's echoed. Yeah, we don't do that because we have to do that. We do that because we want to do it. Yep. It's what we've always known. You know, it's what what better way to... Well, now, oh, we used to go watch him bury. The, the thought of being able to speak to the manager or the players was the best thing that could happen to me where I've been to school all week or work all week and I got the opportunity to do that I think it's the greatest thing that you can do as a manager of a, of a football club to a supporter um, I'm on Twitter Bernard's on Twitter we open up our direct messages to Chester fans if you've got any grievances speak to us about them talk to us ask us any question you want to ask you might not like the answer I give you but you'll get a truthful fact so instead of, of, of opinions and conjecture not opinions everyone has an opinion but conjecture and nonsense that 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 sparks off. If you ask us, we'll tell you. Um, we, you know, we we last year, I think the last game of the season, we played Alfreton away, and we went back to a pub, um, and all the fans, you know, that travel came back in, and, and we had a few hours in there and had a beer and a chinwag, went out to Newquay in pre-season, and that was that was for us, for the players, um, the training camp, but it was also the opportunity for the fans to come down and 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 enjoy themselves and come out in a relaxed atmosphere, having a beer in, in the evenings, you know, the sun's out. Um, and having a chat, as I said, I think, I think what that does, it creates trust. You know, if you if, if supporters know that they can um, lean on you, ask certain things, um, give bits of information to you, you know, they're, they're the ones that have been here for a long time. They can pass you certain bits sometimes where you think, I never, never thought about that. Um, it builds up a level of trust. So we've always been the same. You know, we, we've always tried to create that uh, bit cliche, but that, that type of family culture. I mean, Rami and Salford, we was building football clubs up from the bottom. Stress is different because it's it, it's it's a much bigger football club, but it, it was more to do with building trust between um, different parts of the of the football club that have been damaged over the last few years. Uh, and as I said, there's always listen. You're always going to get an element of supporters that don't like what you do and, and how you do it, and that would be the same. That was the same at Salford, by the way. Um, you're always going to get that, but I think the majority um, can see what we want to achieve at Chester. And I think the majority believe that we can do it. In terms of Chester, how would you describe the journey so far? You mentioned the first season when you went in, it was all about you getting to know the club, getting to know the fan ownership model. How would you kind of reflect on the journey so far up to where we are now? Um, We're probably at where we expected to be at. You know, you have to look at the size of clubs that have been at this level. I mean, York are now in their third season at this level. Looked like they could have got out this time. I think Stockport spent the best part of six years at this level. Um, there's some big football clubs that that once they fall out of the National League into the National North, tend to have a double relegation. There have there have been quite a few of them. Um, so so for us, it was in a, it was about consolidating. Not for me and Burnley, it wasn't, but for the football club, it was about consolidating last season. Um, so we, I think we ended up finishing three points off the playoffs. Yeah. I think our form from Christmas onwards um, last year. Um, was the reason we didn't get in. We didn't really deserve to to, to get in, uh, for being totally honest. But again, that was that was to do with an injury crisis that that was unprecedented. I don't think if I manage for the next thirty forty years, we'll ever have a, um, an injury crisis like we did last year. And again, people understood that. We 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 we, um, we introduced a lot of the academy players into the team last year. And at times, there was two or three coming in at once, which was too soon. The sixteen seventeen year old lads. Um, but but it, when you've got um, settled squad it's much easier to introduce them you know one at a time as opposed to it being the way we did so I think last year was was a learning curve for us all uh, relative relative success if you want to call it that uh, by, by finishing as close as we did 
and me and Burn jolts actually. Um, yeah, the last thing we said, so we realised we were pretty decent managers because of how well we did. Uh, we had we had probably the four or five players last year not getting paid. You know, we, we were over budget and they were coming and playing for us for free just for expenses, which showed the the the, the commitment from the from the players that were coming in. Um, to try and help us out but ultimately there weren't real players that we wanted to build upon they were just stop gaps they knew that at the time um, so 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 it was okay last year I think this year our recruitment um, was based around players that, that me and Bernard seen first hand um, signed Joel Taylor that, that Kidderminster didn't want we signed um, a quasi obviously 18 months back that, that Tamworth didn't want um, we signed George Glennon who was a free agent um, Jamie Morgan, who from a level below, Kevin Roberts from Wrexham, who they didn't want. We signed a lot of players that, that actually we'd played against in the past that stood out against us, that had always been on our radar, that had came, come available all at the same time. So we, the recruitment, you know, without blowing smoke up our own backsides, was pretty good. Um, and I think we kept the, the, the nucleus of, of, of a decent squad. So we pushed on, we've done okay. Um, I think lack of, of, of consistency has cost us, especially on set pieces. There hasn't been many goals we've conceded um, where we've been cut open. I could probably count on one hand how many times that's happened. So, so again, we know where to, we need to improve. And as long as you know and you can see where you need to improve, you'll always you always will improve. Um, so we've done. I, I think we've I think we've done we've done well. I think we've done okay. Um, obviously, we always want more. We've been at the top end, two, top three most of the season, but just not quite grabbing hold of York and Kingsland. So we're probably between third and, and seventh is, is is where we deserve to be at this moment in time. You've mentioned the fact that you're, you're on a journey, you're, where you are at the moment is where you think you should be. You and Ben are clearly happy at the club. You've signed new contracts for the next couple of years. What's the aim over the next couple of years without me trying to put a lot of pressure on you, of course? Um, it, continual improvement, um, which... We, where did we finish last year? Ninth. Ninth and three points off the place we finished. If we finish eighth, if, if we were to finish eighth this year and, and, and outside the playoffs, is it improvement? Yes, because we've finished a, a place above. But actually, the, the 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 things that we put in place, the hybrid model, the, the better qual- quality of players that we put in there, a bigger budget this year, isn't an improvement because we haven't got in the playoffs. So so for us, is to get in the playoffs this season is an absolute minimum. Um, and then and I'm a big believer in your third season at a football club is the one where you really go and push on, um, and that comes from consistency levels. So over the next two years of what we've got on our contracts is, is about getting back in the National League make no bones about that you know that, that, that's been the aim since minute one but I think with the routes that we've put down now um, different different things that we've set um, that's that's the ultimate aim and, and, and the sole aim is, to, is about getting into the National League once we get there then it's about re, rethinking um, the strategy and, and where we want to get to next and how we get there Absolutely and as I say I wish you all the best with that I want to Rewind now back to Ramsbottom and Salford. Very successful at both clubs, both very different clubs as we've spoken about. How did both jobs differ? <coughs> well, the biggest, I think the biggest single thing how they differed was, well, two big things. One was in complete control of everything. Um, and the second thing is, is budget. You know, obviously we, we there's, I said legendary story, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but everyone in the, the local area Maybe even national, regional, uh, regional and national nowadays know about what we did at Rami, and, and you may have to listen to the players' podcast on other, other other podcasts when they talk about the time at Rami. It was wild. It was a wild, wild time. We were there for six years. We, we started managing at twenty five and twenty six, um, with with zero coaching experience, zero coaching qualifications, um, not a clue how to manage players, um, but we knew a load of lads that that were good footballers. Um, and it was it was a case of trying our best to point them in a direction where we wanted to go. There was no there was no doubt from the players' minds of what we expected out of me and Bernard, <clears throat> and that was win games of football. Um, we never talked about promotions. We never talked about winning leagues because we'd never done that before as managers. It didn't exist. We just wanted to win games. It was that buzz that, that created um, from from doing that. And, and over time, you end up being a team that is built of friends. I think. There was there was an article um, in the in, in one of the papers where we had eleven people. So uh, are you still there? I'm still here. Yeah, you've just. Sorry, I just lost you there. There we go. Sorry. <clears throat> um, there was an article in one of the local papers that um, we had eleven people um, that had played a hundred games or more together. 
So nine players, plus me and Bernard, when we played for Rami, eleven lads that were non-contracted and um, that played together for over a hundred games. So over eleven hundred appearances. Um, it, it's, it'll never happen again. Don't think it's happened before. Well, it probably did do happen before in the, in the days when it was all local players, but it'll never happen again. Now we had a load of lads that loved each other, um, never moved on. You know the, the opportunities they got, they, they got to go and uh, move on. Actually, Lee Gaskell, one of our players, was offered the opportunity to go and play for Salford City. Gary Neville rang him. Um, six months before we took the job, asking him to sign for Salford, offered him more money than what he was on at Salford, obviously, and he turned it down. Uh, Jordan Hume had countless offers to, to, to move for money, and none of them ever left. Um, I think people talk about culture uh, and that type of stuff, and we create a culture of, of lads loving each other, um, enjoying the times together. And when you get, when, once you once you get that, um, I think you're you, you, straight away you're onto a winner. So we got, we got to a point at Rami after. After six years of, of constant success, and, and, and when I talk about punching above our weight, I mean I can't, I can't, um, can't exaggerate that enough. You know, we, we got to a point where what we're doing here um, as a club, you know, we, we it, I think we got to third in the Northern Premier League, um, and lads were starting to to think, hang on a minute, we, if we're going to push on here, you need to you need to invest into the squad. And I think we had eleven amazing, brilliant players, all who've gone on to play at much higher levels. Um, but that was it. That's what we were, and it was we, we turned down the best part of half a dozen jobs throughout the years. But I think when the Salford one came up in Jan 2015, um, it was a no-brainer for us. I think, I think the only downside was we had to drop a league that we just got out of. Um, but to take that job, working for the owners um, with the investment that they were putting in and the plans that they had, was an absolute no-brainer for, for us to take that. Um, we went in there. We took. Half a dozen, maybe seven players from Rami straight away to so there's a notion that well, there's not a notion, but Salford had a big budget, but we actually took players that were on next to no money at Rami to Salford. So it wasn't like we was we was blowing people away with money. We just took our players that we had at Rami, um, and then it was a case of sorting out the players that they already had there. You know, I think there was quite a bit of egos is probably the wrong word, but players that have been at a higher level and, and, and thinking, what am I doing at this level? I'm better than this, and it was a case of just putting them on the right path. Um, and surrounding them with players who, who we disrespectful, I suppose, disrespectful, I suppose, but we call them dogs. Surrounded with them type of players, will do the work, which allows your technical players then to, to flourish. You, your players like Danny Weber, um, arguably the best player you know I've ever seen, or I've certainly ever managed. But having the players that we brought in um, were, were perfect for him to get the best out of him. So that's what we did, and then and and we had that momentum. You know, we me, me and Burn are absolutely relentless people, uh, characters. I think with the group that we brought from Ramy, they were in the same mould. Um, and once we got winning at Salford, we, we became unstoppable through the leagues, the FA Cup. Um, it was it was an unbelievable time. We, we went into to games never, ever, ever, ever thinking for a minute that we wouldn't win. In terms of Salford, I don't want to dwell on the documentary too much. We've all watched it. How did that change your life in terms of exposure? Uh significantly absolutely massive the, the, the day so we resigned from Salford on a uh, from Rami on the Friday night with Harry me Bernard Harry who were tears the Saturday morning we then went into the club to explain to the supporters about 50 sports turn up which was mad really to explain that we was resigning there was a lot of anger a lot of um, upset people the players you know were, were there as well and we explained that we were leaving we resigned 11, 12 o'clock in the morning, uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, then we went over to Salford to watch them play. They were playing Kendall and um, at home. Phil Neville and Paul Scholes took the game. Um, and Karen Baird, the chairman, who, who, who'd sort of sorted all the, the move out, actually, um, watched the game. Was, and then she took us over to be introduced to, to Paul and, and Phil, shut their hands. Do you want to have a word with the lads in the changing room? It was like a whirlwind into the changing room. But as we walked into the changing room, there were two or three cameras around us, boom, boom, boom. One of them big things that like a brush, the sound mic was popped over our head and it was like, what's going on here? And they said, oh, this is the documentary. This is what's going on. So we, we, we'd signed for Salford based on our career as a career move, football. Not told anything about the, the documentary. It was just shoved in our face. I didn't have an issue with it. It was, you know, I'm, I'm quite a confident person with stuff like that. But all of a sudden, you you you, you know that you're going to be uh, on, on TV in a few months' time. So you, so it becomes part of, of, of your thinking, actually. You know, you, you, you're constantly wondering where it is. And then all of a sudden, over the next two or three weeks, you forget, you totally forget about it. You forget it's there. Um, I think 
when I think about how the documentary came out, it came out in November 2015. It came out the day before we was live on TV in the FA Cup first round. And if you didn't know, you think it had all been set up that team that let us win to get there. For, for, for it, to, it was unbelievable. So one night was on the documentary, the next night we were beating Notts County with three or four leagues above us in the FA Cup. So we turned into Z-list celebrities. Um, it, 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 it was bizarre. Um, and then obviously documentary after documentary, promotion after promotion, uh, it, just, it just carried on. And, and literally it was, even now obviously, it's a case of wherever you went, people were noticing, you oh, you're the sofa manager, you're the sofa manager, are you really like that? It, it was all great, you know, people people noticing you, but it's, um, the reality of it all is totally different. There's no, there's no, there's no PR training, there's no training of, of how you've got to act and you answer the questions in this way. It was, the more honest we were, we, me and Byrne came across as better characters for the programme. Yeah. Um, it was, it was surreal. It's probably the best, probably the best word I can use for it all was surreal. When I look back on it, it went in an absolute heartbeat, but it was, um, it was fascinating. And, and, and like I say, it was surreal. Well, as I say, it was something that, as you know, you, you mentioned the exposure that it changed everything. And as you know, I'm based in Scotland and, and I'm not being disrespectful to, to managers down south at the kind of National League level. Not a lot of them would be known in Scotland at all, whereas you and Bernard are well known everywhere because of that documentary even up here. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's frightening. I mean, I go, I go on holiday um, every May over to Florida and, and for the last five or six years, each time I've gone, there's been someone who's recognised me. Obviously not American, I'm talking about British holidaymakers. They recognise me and the kids, like my eldest lad who's, who's 15, cringes, he absolutely despises it. I get stick on Twitter because I've got a blue tick, 34, 35,000 followers on Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. All I've ever done is managing not only football, uh, but the documentary was an absolute monster. Uh, and, and, and it's obviously what kicks, I mean, I do myself and Bernard a disservice if I say, it. you know, our CV was, CV was very good anyway, but the documentary sort of pushed us into, into to places like you just talked about there, which had never happened without it. Absolutely, and, and as I say, it's something that, as much as a documentary, something that people know you for. I really enjoyed, as you said, the Players Podcast, because if you look at what you did at Rami, the record speaks for itself and then what you did at Salford speaks for itself and then hopefully what you're going to do at Chester will speak for itself as well and something I want to talk to you about completely different to football is you used to be in the army what was life in the army like? Yeah I joined joined at 16 um, I, I left school um, I hated school I'll be honest with you I, I, <laughs> it wasn't all I wanted to do was kick a football about I was at Berry at the time all I did all I wanted to do was PE so I left school, oh, no, I, I signed up for the army probably six months before leaving school, knowing that my grades weren't going to be anything brilliant. Um, I didn't want to go to college and, and carry on my education. You know, so, so the army was the next best, best thing for me. I actually walked away from um, from Bury. Um, we had signed schoolboy terms with the club and, and just before they were starting to offer YTs, um, I, walked, I walked away. Now, I didn't know I was going to get one or if I didn't. Obviously, I was playing okay, but I walked away because I thought, or my parents and I thought we needed a different career path. So I joined the Army at 16, um, September 98 or whatever, I can't remember, forget, forget my years. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was exactly what I needed because I was uh, jumped up, cocky, arrogant, um, so-and-so. And it was exactly what I needed at the time. Um, I did the best part of uh, four years in there. Um, and as I said, if I said I loved every minute of it, would would probably be a lie. But I enjoyed my time. I enjoyed what I did. I enjoyed the tours that we went on. Um, actually, as I left was when oh, I was in Northern Ireland on a, on a tour. Um, I don't know if you remember. You're probably too young to remember, actually. But um, the Holy Cross dispute in, in Belfast in uh, 2001 was on, it was the big news, it was worldwide news at the time, excuse me, <coughs> the riots um, on, on around the Ardoin, and the Twin Towers got hit the day we were there, um, and obviously the news then went over to went over to, to America and, and, and so forth, and then this, they invaded Iraq and, and Afghanistan, and, and that was at the time when I was coming, I was actually uh, thinking about leaving the army, so, so actually when it started to kick off in, in the Middle East and stuff, that was the time when I was leaving but my brother was going in, so I was probably for the best sort of time. Uh, I suppose it was back in the 90s, the adverts were, join the army, see the world, be the best you can be, all that type of stuff. 
and it's coming back to that now. Uh, but they were, they were great times, you know. They, they, this, I think my values that, that 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 I am as a person and that whole course to me um, as a father, um, as a man, as a football manager, um, were were made predominantly from from a time in the military. In terms of yourself as a player, what position did you play? You're very passionate as a, as a manager. What were you like as a player, and did you have a chance of? Do you think of making it at that or another club? Yeah, I, I was a, I was a good player. Um, when it's always hard talking about yourself in uh, like that. I, I do I do struggle with it. If I'm honest with you, so if someone asked me on, on social media on Twitter what I was like as a player, a few of my ex-managers are on there. Um, oh, I'll put Bernard in there and uh, Alan Lord, who. who was manager at Stockport, um, who managed me years ago. Um, Jason Beckford, um, Neil Hart, who's actually coaches for me in Burnley, was my manager. Uh, Neil Reynolds was at SC United. So I'll actually tag all these in and go, can you answer that for me? Um, and I don't care what people think or what they say, but I was I was known as a very hard-working player uh, with a bit of ability, um, a bit of a bully. Um, and and I, I suppose I dragged absolutely... Every single bit of, of what I had out of me, and more. Um, if if my first touch wasn't as good as the guy I was playing with or against, or I wasn't as quick as somebody else, um, or my finishing uh, and my composure wasn't as good as my movement wasn't as good as somebody else, I made sure I was the hard, hardest working player on the pitch. Um, and it's what I, I think people remember me for. Maybe not the the greatest thing. You know, I, I was a goal scorer that probably scored one in three, maybe fifteen goals every single season that I played. I had a lot of injuries, uh, broke both legs, um, had this injury where for the best part of two years I dislocated my shoulder every other week. Um, at the time I wasn't contracted and, and had a young family, so it literally popped back in. I'd go to, back to work the day after where I delivered potatoes for a living, 12 tonne of spuds, and then I'd, I'd redo the, the dislocation. So I had a lot of injuries through my career, and I think once we got to 25, 26 million burn, that's when we started to think about the managing side. Uh, but I was a hard-working player, and I think that's why I don't suffer fools when it comes to comes to that. On uh, as a manager, that's I think supporters watching games that the least they expect is a hard-working, organised team. Um, and 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 I, I used to think as a player, that's what I prided myself on. In terms of your role as a manager, you mentioned the fact you were a hard-working player. You had a job outside of football. During spells in your managerial career, you've also had jobs outside of football. What's it like comparing football? What's it like combining, sorry, football management and working as well? I didn't know any, anything different. That was all I've known. So since since I left the army and started playing non-league football, uh, I've always worked alongside either playing or alongside managing. So nothing nothing really happened. But I think once we started managing, you realise obviously when you when you're a player, you play, you train, it's done. That's it, finished. Yeah. You go to work. As a manager, you, you, it doesn't matter if you're in in, in the uh, Northwest Counties League or in the Premier League. You still think about the game as much as each other. You still have the same problems that crop up. Um, so I was 24/7. Bernard was 24/7, but we was going to work. And although I think we, I think the first when we took the job at Ramu was on 60 quid each managing. We took a, a big pay cut to, from playing to go and manage on 60 pound a week. Um, and let's say at work, I was on 300 quid a week. I don't know, can't remember. Um, I, I was only on a small percentage of what I did for work, but actually I bought that much into the management side. I spent more time thinking about um, the football than I did from the work. And I think some managers get into it and, and, and just see it as a hobby and a bit of a pastime. But Bird used to laugh at me. Everyone used to laugh at me. And I used to say, 10 years we'll be managing the championship. And they'd say, well, you, and obviously we're not. But, but I used to believe that we could make a living from the game. Uh, providing you put your hours in. You know, how often you hear people say, oh, you've got to work harder. What does that mean? What does working harder mean? You know, do you run around a lot more? Do you, do, you, do you go much more games? And I think it's just, it's a, it's a case of self-improvement all the time. When we started, we didn't have qualifications. We didn't have any sort of leadership skills. So it's going away and working on yourself to make sure that when them skills do crop, uh, crop, crop up uh, and these jobs crop up, you, you've got them skills to fall back on because it's what you're self-educated with. Um, so it's just, uh, although I, I worked, you know, I drove a wagon, I've done that many flipping jobs. When I drove a wagon, all I, all I thought about was football. I'd be on my own in a cab and it, it was all I'd think about. I'd be on the phone, you know, on, on, on loudspeaker, whatever, driving, talking to Bernard, seven, eight hours a day about football and how we can improve. And, and that's that's how it started. And, and, and I, we got the opportunity to be full-time managers in... Um, 
March 2017 with Salford, which was an absolute, it's a dream come true. A dream come true. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I never, I'll never forget the day that, we, that they told us that they were going to take us on full-time, two-year contracts, pack working, went in to work and told them, that's it, I'm not coming back. Um, at the time, I was driving a bin wagon, um, which was, it was the best feeling ever. It felt like all the years of hard work had got us to that point, but actually now is the first step to, to, to go and move on again. Um, so for, from being a grafter and a, and a worker, driving wagons, delivering potatoes for a living, being a bin man, to then being a full-time manager and being on TV was was was, was stuff of dreams. And, and, and for me and Bern at that point, it was all a case of, right, now we start to push on big time from there. I want to talk to you about um, your love of football generally. You've, you're very open about the fact you support Bury. You've never hidden that. What were your first memories of the club and who was your first real hero at the club? Uh, my dad used to take me down in the late 80s. Um, I think I put a tweet out recently uh, about the first game I went to. I had to look back. I think it was in 88, maybe crew at home. Um, but the, my, my, my memory started probably about 89, 90 when Bury was always in the playoffs. And my first hero was a was a player called David Lee. He was a right winger. Um, what a player. Even to this day, you know, I don't think Bury have, have ever found anything close to him in terms of, of the excitement he gave. I think at the time, maybe 91, 92, they sold him to Southampton for about 400 grand, which was massive money. You know, I'm talking 30 years ago. Um, and unfortunately, he went inside for Bolton, who were our, our arch rivals. Uh, but I don't think it changed the, 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 the opinion of too many Berry fans of, of, of how good of a player he was. And he was, my, he was genuinely my first hero. The day he left, the day he left Berry to Southampton, we, there was a car boot sale on a gig, a gig lane in the car park, went down, my mum and me, the grandma came with us. And he, he, he was walking out, I don't know if it was agent or somebody, he was walking out the ground and someone had said he's leaving. And my grandma bought a little rug um, or a mat for the front door and, and she gave it me, said, like, use that. And I had a mark and she, he signed the back of this rug. <laughs> I think she's still got the rug now, David Lee's signature and a little bit of scrap paper somewhere of, of, of his autograph. Uh, so I have vivid memories from, from, from stuff like that. You know, I've got so many... So many heroes. I mean, on, on Twitter, I, I follow like a fellow called Andy Gray, who, who, who I think he got capped for England once, and Dean Kiley, the goalkeeper, Andy Bishop, Ryan Lowe, who's now managing Plymouth, all very heroes. And heroes of mine, I tell them whenever I see them. Um, you know, they, they, I, was, I was a supporter of a small club, but then people I held up in such high esteem. And to be able to converse with people like them, and David Johnson's another one that I speak to on Twitter, it's, um, it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely superb. In terms of the club, you've you've loved the club your whole life. How sad was it when you watched what happened last year, with the club obviously being expelled from the EFL? Was that heartbreaking? Yeah, I don't I, I don't think I went through the sadness and heartbreaking side of it. You know, I, I don't get down there too often as much as the supporters do. I was fuming. I think more than anything, I felt angry. I felt aggressive. Um, I could have I could have said and done something that I really regretted at the time. Um, I don't think people understand what football clubs mean to communities. Chester themselves have been through it. Um, countless clubs at our level have been through it. Darlington being one. Um, it not me sick that, that that people can be, be, be put in a position of power um, and a football club that is everyone's getaway from work, Monday to Friday, family life, any problems you've got in life, going to your local football club should be, uh, I was going to say it should be stress-free, actually it's much more stressful supporting clubs like Berry. But you know what I mean, you know, going watching your team and cheering them on and sitting with like-minded people, singing, travelling, you know, the length and breadth of the country. For people, individuals to be able to get hold of that and, and dismantle it, systematically break it down, uh, left me with a lot of, lot, lot, lot of I, was, I was pissed off, if I'm, if I'm quite honest. Uh, but you could see it coming a mile off. I think, I think the, the one thing with Berry was we could see it coming, it was, it was being built up to, to that point. Uh, heart, heartbreaking for, for the majority of supporters. Uh, but it gives us the opportunity to, to, to you know, again, like Chester, to um, start up again and, and, and be fan-owned um, and run it the way the supporters want it to run, as opposed to some shyster con man um, full of fo uh, false promises um, who, 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 can, who can break it down again. Absolutely. Um, the last question I've got for you before a round of quickfire questions is, what advice would you give to any young manager, whether that's in the non-league level or up here in Scotland or Wales, Northern Ireland, Ireland? What advice would you give to anyone starting out in the game? I've said it before, written down. People were asking me the other day when I did a Q&A and I said, ignore the noise. 
uh, I'd say, well, great, that. What, what does it mean? It means listen, not listening to the naysayers. You're always going to have doubters. You're always going to have critics. You're going to have people that tell you that. We get it weekly. Every time we've only lost eight games a season, each time we lose, we're out of our depth. We've got to all that Salford, we've got to all that Rami. It's fuel. It's absolute fuel to, to prove people wrong. People will always have an opinion on your tactics, but they only have that opinion when you lose. When you win, they don't say your tactics were great. So, so anything that you do, whether it be your training sessions, um, people will, will pick the bones out of it. But as long as you've got a belief um, that, that what you're doing is correct and, and, and you stick to your principles and your values, um, you, you, you'll have a good go at it. That doesn't, that's not to say you don't listen to people. You've got to be a sponge. You've got to take on board um, advice. You've got to take on board um, sometimes what the, what the critics say because you, you can decipher it and, and use it as, as fuel. Um, but if you've got a belief in something that you do, don't don't let anybody stand in your way of, of saying, you know, it can't be done. Um, I mean, people will laugh, probably laugh at what I say. I'm, only, I'm in Division 6, but to come from the level that we have um, and done what we've done and seen what I've seen has, has, has took a lot of uh, mental courage, a lot of fortitude and a lot of resilience. You know, me and Bird put ourselves out there on social media to be absolutely abused. So you can't do that in a moment people give you a bit of shit. You know, you, you, you've got to have that mental fortitude. And, and as a manager, as a coach, people will doubt you. People will, will, will say you're doing things wrong. Um, and you've just, you've just got to have so much belief in yourself. Brilliant. Um, in terms of quick-fire questions, the first one, um, I'll start with a few non-football ones. First one being favourite band? Well, The Clash, I think, yeah. Great the Clash. Great choice. Um, favourite film? Pulp Fiction. Favourite food? Oh, I, I, I love my food. It could be anything. Uh, lasagna. I, we, there's a there's a there's a small uh, rest family owned restaurant in Berry, uh, Bella Italia. Not one of the franchise ones. Um, that's been there for, for 30, 40 years, and they do the best lasagna you could ever imagine. Um, so we like going there, and I, I enjoy that. But at home, I love steak and chips. <laughs> what's the What's your favourite place you've ever travelled to? We go to Florida every every year. Um, we've been going since two thousand nine. Uh, obviously, this year is going to be the first time we we'll probably miss out on it. Um, so, so we, the, the, we we go to Disney, Orlando, but we also have three or four days away in a, a place called Clearwater Beach. And it's paradise. It's the most beautiful, amazing place you, you can ever imagine. Um, so definitely, say Clearwater Beach. On to the football now. Um, best player you've coached? Oh. Just, just for, for technical ability and experience and, and, and where he's been, Danny Weber, definitely. What would you say is the best team you and Bern have faced as a manager in your career so far? Uh, well, it's an easy one, that, because we played Liverpool's first team a couple of years ago and, and they beat us 7-0 in pre-season. Um, and, and Klopp brought uh, Fabinho and uh, Cater and Robertson and they all played and Sturridge. They all, it was unbelievable. Absolutely, it was absolutely unbelievable to see what they do. And that was the first preseason friendly, by the way. Uh, I know it's a cop out, um, pardon the pun. We, we, I know it's a cop out by saying Liverpool, but it was unbelievable. It was awe inspiring watching them. Who do you say have been the sort of biggest characters you've managed, and why? <laughs> uh, probably Jordan Hume, uh, Gary Stockforth. Um, they, they, they can fill silence, you know. They, they can fill negative times with with, with moments and uh, positive. It's not always about what what's going on on the pitch. It's it's the the intensity and and the energy that they bring to a changing room. Um, there's the, the, there's so many, but I, I think Steve Alston, Jordan, you, Gary Stockford, lads that have, Scott Burton, lads that have been around with, with me and Burn for so many years, and the, the lads that um, give you energy, you know, within the changing room, not just on the pitch. If you could sign one player from any era in football, who would it be and why? Probably, oh, Gaza, Paul Gascoigne, I think. Um, when, when we talked about my first hero growing up as a Berry fan, I think my first ever hero watching football in the late 80s, early 90s was Gaza, the way, the way he took a ball. The, you, know, you know what it was like back in the day with, with, yeah. with the way the defending and tackles and stuff. And he just used to glide past people like they weren't there. Um, he was a character as well, obviously. Uh, but 
I was going to say he's underrated. He wasn't underrated at all in the slightest. I, I think he, I think someone wrote in in one of Alex Ferguson's books. I think if they, he, someone like him would have got hold of him, his career would have really shot into massive stardom. Um, but what a top player! I'd love, love, love to have worked with him. If you were a player now and you could play for any manager in world football, which one would you pick? Uh, probably Pep. Yeah, probably Pep. Um, when he first started managing um, at Barca after he'd done a year with Barcelona B, there's a book uh, called Barca and it was about his first year or two at Barcelona and, and listening to how, how, how invested he was with that um, and, and how he started the tiki-taka and, and having to cut big guns, you know, like um, I think it was Ronaldinho maybe and, and Deco at the time that, that he let go was really, you know, yeah, I thought, how, how can you do that? You know, you're a young man, although he's been a world-class player, how can you release them type of players and he explains why it needed to happen? Um, and obviously the way things have played for over over a decade, you know, you don't you do not do that by luck, so, so definitely him. Finish with a question, uh, a bit of fun, a challenge that you and Ben might be able to take on over the summer when football's back. Who would win a game of head tennis? You and Ben versus Joel Taylor and Asante. Who wins that? Me and Burn. <laughs> me, let me tell you, when me and Burn join in training, the lads don't know what's hit them. They haven't got a clue what's going on because everything's nice and nice and nice. And me and Burn join in, and it's like I talked to you about before, joking aside, it's about winning. So the intensity steps up. We always, well, we don't always. We try to join in there tennis with some very, very good players. Most of the time, Joel's got his hands in his sleeves, and acquires is probably on the injury bed anyway. So it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be too many problems beating them too. <laughs> Brilliant! Thanks for joining me. All right, pal. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be